one of our most important shows ever. Joe Kissel takes control of your digital legacy. This is Mac Voices. This edition of Mac Voices is brought to you by the Mac Voices Slack, available to all patrons of Mac Voices. Sign up today at patreon.com slash macvoices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, today's topic is one that probably we would all rather not deal with, but it's so, so important. And so if you hear a start and you think, I don't want to hear about this, please don't. Uh, just give it some time. We're going to try to have as much fun as we can with it uh, because of the very nature of it. But it is really, really important for you and for those that you love. Joe Kissel is back. This time we are talking about take control of your digital legacy. Joe, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for writing this book because this is such an important topic. And unfortunately, it's one that every single one of us is going to have to deal with. Yes. Uh, hi. It seems like I was here just last week. Um, <laughs> our our visits might be growing uh, more frequent in the, in the near future. Uh, yeah. So as you were just giving that introduction, I'm like, you know, come to think about it, a lot of my books are on topics that people really don't want to think about. People really don't want to think about backups and passwords and online privacy and things. And so a lot of what I think of my role is uh, is taking those difficult, painful things and saying, look, it's okay. I've studied this. I've researched it. I figured it out. I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to, we're going to just walk through it step by step. It's going to be okay. So I think this is another one of those topics, although it is a little more explicitly connected with death. So that gives it, you know, that extra, <laughs> that extra element. But as I always say, as I said the last time we talked about this six years ago, and as I say, almost every time I give a presentation on this topic, this is going to be the most fun presentation on death you've heard all year. Uh, so I, I do like, yes, it's a little morbid, but I also try to put as much of uh, a, a positive spin on it and say, I'm, I'm doing this to save you pain, right? I'm doing this to save you pain and to save your loved one's pain. And I want to make the process as enjoyable as it can be. Joe, it strikes me that a lot of us, and I'm, I'm going to include myself in that. This is something that we shy away from. We put off. We think, oh, you know, that's in the future. And sometimes it's not. And so, yeah. if you are one of those, if you have a will, then good for you. Um, you've 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 gone through that process. If you've done if you've done any estate planning, even better for you. Um, but as we as we move to so many things being online and really so many things that are not just maybe financial or physical assets but are digital assets that we want to preserve that's where all the all the the traditional avenues kind of fall short and that's what you're in here filling in for us yeah exactly i mean a, a will is great for describing your wishes for your house, your car, your money, your tangible assets. Most wills don't 
say anything or at least not much about your digital assets. And those can be just as important. And I'm not even just talking about like, a, you, let's say you own some Bitcoin or something. Well, that's kind of a digital asset. It's also kind of a monetary asset. It's that little you know, bit of a gray area in between. There are things like that, but even things like your your photographs, your email, your documents, um, ensuring that the right people have access to these in the distant future can be really, really important. But then there's this other whole layer. It's not just like, well, there's a file on my computer and I want to make sure somebody has it. Yes, that's important. But also, a lot of our stuff is stored in the cloud now. A lot of our stuff is stored only in the cloud. Like you might, whatever, you use Google Docs to compose a novel. I know of people who do this. And so that novel doesn't exist as a file on your computer. It is only in the cloud. So let's imagine you've written this great work or whatever it is, and you die, and your heirs want to publish this posthumously. But in the meantime, Google has figured out that you're dead and they've like erased your account or something. I mean, that kind of thing could happen. Um, or, you know, there's some valuable data that you store in a cloud service, but it's only going to be stored there as long as you keep paying for it monthly. And, you know, once your credit card stops working, uh, the data goes away. So there are a bunch of considerations like that, that we don't even think about while we're alive. Well, of course, I'm always going to have access to iCloud Drive. I'm going to have access to Google Docs. I'm going to have access to Dropbox or whatever the thing is. Yeah, probably while you are, you know, of, of sound mind and body, but what about afterwards? So that is just one of the things that one of the broad categories that this book helps you get your head around, like, okay, what, what would my spouse, kids, whatever do about my important data, where, whether it's stored locally or in the cloud or wherever, how would they get at the stuff they need? And how would I make sure that I pass on the right things to the right people? You said something there, though, that I don't think a lot of us have thought about. If if Google finds out that you're, you've passed, um, if Apple finds out that you've passed, is it is it strictly a matter of who's paying for what account? Or do they have policies in place, do you know, that they say, okay, Joe's gone, so we're going to give his account six months, and then it's it's done? Well, it's messy. And in fact, so, so I wrote, I wrote, I wrote this book originally back in 2017 has not had a single update in six and a half years. I mean, 2017, that was when I turned 50 and I dyed my hair purple and that whole thing was happening. I can't believe was that six and a half years ago. Holy that like I'm I'm old. Okay. I know I'm not that old, but like I makes like I feel it's not that I'm old. It's it's more like wow, time is passing quickly. But uh it's very unusual for such a long period of time to go between updates and uh this was a topic that I kind of felt like I wrote it and like I'm I'm probably good. Like what's going to change with death over time? This this book can last forever. But then over those 6 years I started noticing things. One of one of the things is, is I've given many, many, many presentations on this topic to user groups. They ask me questions and I go, oh, huh, 
I hadn't thought about that. Let me put that in the next edition. But another thing that has happened is that big technology companies, most especially Apple and Google, have sort of said, you know, our customers are sometimes dying. We should institute some actual policies on the one hand and maybe some tools that can help them on the other hand. So um, I have a whole new chapter on what do you do about your Apple account, your Google account, your Microsoft account, because any of us, regardless of what operating systems we may use, might have any or all of those accounts. And they're, they're kind of big. They affect a lot of kinds of data. So everybody has a different story. Google has one approach and they don't, you know, Google is not going to actively try to figure out when you've died. Yes, if you stop paying for certain services, those services would become avail unavailable, but they will, they will keep accounts open for quite some time, but now they, they've, they've sort of, they've created a policy about inactive accounts. So basically if your account isn't, if you don't even log in at all for a certain period of time, then app, then Google can decide, well, either they're dead or they're just not using it. So we're going to send them some notices. And if they don't respond to the notices, we're going to shut them down. But they added on to that a mechanism whereby you can say, okay, this is the amount of time I want you to wait until you consider my account inactive. And a month before that time elapses, whatever you set, maybe it's three months, maybe it's two years, uh, please send me a notice to remind me in case I'm still alive and still checking my email or phone or whatever so that I can take some action. And if we get all the way to the, the end of that time period and and I haven't responded to any of those pings, uh, please notify the following people and you give them a list and you say, this is the portion of my Google data that I want this person to have access to. And this is the portion I want to have uh, this person have access to. So, and there's dozens of categories. There's your email, there's your documents, there's your photos, there's all kinds of stuff. So that's Google's way of doing it. Apple did something a bit different. Uh, they they spelled out, look, your, your iCloud account and all of the data associated with it is valid only while you're alive. Again, Apple isn't going to go out of their way to proactively figure out whether you've died. They will get some clue if you stop paying for your, uh, for your additional storage or whatever. But Apple's thing is, all right, you can set up these legacy contacts who, once you've died, the a person on this list that you've supplied can send us a copy of your death certificate, send us a copy of their ID, and uh, send this code that we've given them in advance. There's this whole whole process to you know for for security, and then those designated people will get access to most of the things in your Apple ID account. They won't get access to your passwords. And there are a couple of other things they won't get, like credit card information, things like that. But they will get access for a limited time to al almost all of the data in your iCloud account. The, the tricky part is, uh, and this is, this is especially true with Apple, 
when your legacy contacts the designated people with one of the, when one of those people says, okay, you know, this person has died, here's their death certificate. Once Apple gets the death certificate, that starts a clock ticking. All right. So at that moment, they, they completely erase that accounts access to any media you've purchased. So if you've purchased music, TV shows, movies, whatever, any kind of media that you purchased from Apple, that's licensed to you as a living individual. And once Apple knows that you're dead, immediately access to all that stuff is cut off. And then there is a period of time during which your assigned people can get access to other data. So if you didn't if 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 you if nobody informed Apple that you had died officially, if nobody sent them a death certificate, then as far as Apple knows, you're still alive, and your heirs could. I mean, it would be technically against the terms of service, but there wouldn't be anything technologically preventing them from signing in with your credentials and continuing to watch the movies and TV shows that you purchase and that kind of thing. But as soon as Apple knows that you're dead because someone told them, then they they lock down all that stuff. So depending on your circumstances, that, that legacy contact thing may be a benefit or it may be a detriment. Again, as far as I know, none of the big technology companies right now are actively trying to find out whether someone has died. But apart from someone explicitly informing them that you have died, they are kind of silent as to whether any other passive things may happen. So if they, if they happen to notice that, oh, well, so-and-so signed up for an account, they gave their birth date, back in you know 1990 and they said that they're 80 years old and just you know kind of looking at the calendar well i i kind of really doubt that they're still alive like so I, there there could be things like that going on i don't know i uh i i don't know if they take action only when they are officially informed or if they ever kind of just suss it out but um, in any case, <laughs> there's a big new chapter of the book that sort of walks through all that, all that stuff. Today's Mac Voices is supported by the Mac Voices Slack. The Mac Voices Slack is where you can connect with the members of the Mac Voices Live panel and other Mac Voices patrons. Get in on the discussions, agree or disagree with our opinions, and get your voice heard. Sign up at patreon.com slash macvoices. And thanks for supporting. Mac voices. It's it's not hard to imagine as we're watching um, the the large language models. I, I resist saying AI. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if somebody does a query, it's not going to be terribly hard to for a lot of people. Maybe not everyone, but for a lot of people to be determined to be passed um, because the, all the, all these databases are going to be crossing up and. You know, we, you and I both know that our information is not as secure as we would like it to be, uh, our private information, and that would include, I guess, your death certificate. Well, what's even scarier about the large language models, and I have seen many, many examples where some, someone, some personality on Mastodon, for example, will say, well, I just, I just asked, you know, ChatGPT to give me a biography of myself. 
All right. And, and it'll say, well, you know, so-and-so was a, this, that, and the other thing. And they died in, you know, 2012. And they're like, I, I really didn't. <laughs> so, so, so sometimes these, these so-called AIs, just this makeup stuff and who knows what facts they incorrectly piece together to come up with that result, but they make up stuff and they claim that people have died when they have not. And that is the more troubling thing. What if some technology company um, incorrectly, you know, somebody, somebody does one of these things or it's, it's, it's done in an automated way and somebody incorrectly comes to the conclusion that you've died. And so your access to all this kind of stuff is blocked. Well, I mean, you know, spoiler, it, it turns out that if you do the stuff in my book, it's not just for your heirs after you've died. I mean, it is, but also it can give you backup access to your own stuff if you're somehow cut off. So there's that. Yeah. Well, that's obviously a good thing. Um, yeah. Joe, one other thing, and I don't want to take us too far down a rabbit hole here, but but I think it's important to mention um, what you said about the the purchases you've made through, let's just say, the Apple Store. That those are really not purchases exactly; they're licensed to you, and if you go away, access to those goes away, and that's yeah. within the terms that you agreed to, whether you knew it or not, when you made those right. purchases. So is there a way to – and I want to be real careful here because I don't want to encourage, encourage anything that is not legal or proper. But is there any way to protect ourselves for that? If, if I've spent, spent $2,000 on movies, I'd kind of like to be able to have the option maybe to pass those on. Have I just completely given up that right already or is there a way for me to download those and protect myself and my heirs? <coughs> Well, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the way I sometimes put this when I'm talking to user groups is big technology companies enforce their licenses by way of DRM, digital rights management, popularly known or unpopularly known as copy protection. Now, I will parenthetically say that Take Control Books does not use copy protection, so you can pass on our books forever. But, uh, but, and, and Apple, uh, Apple used to use DRM for tracks purchased from the iTunes store. Now this is totally different from I, from Apple music, but they stopped applying DRM to music tracks purchased from the iTunes store. Uh, that's largely irrelevant today anyway, because, because of Apple music, but still is the case for most of the books you buy from Apple Books, also books you buy from Amazon for your Kindle and so forth. And of course, always, always true of TV shows and movies that you purchase from Apple. Again, not, not ones that you've just rented or streamed over Apple TV Plus or something like that, but uh, ones you've actually uh, bought. You haven't really bought them. You've, you've licensed them. So what I, what I say is that the, the letter of the law and I do generally like to be a law-abiding law abiding citizen. <laughs> the letter of the law is that it's it's licensed to you. You agreed to that. It, it's for the duration of your life and no longer. And it is not an asset that you actually own. You do not have the legal right to pass it on. Now, I have heard that there exist out in the world 
methods by which a person could remove DRM. And I certainly wouldn't know anything about that from personal experience, but I imagine if someone were interested in learning about such legally dubious technologies that a web search might produce information for them. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, that's fair because, yeah, I asked the question, how do we legally reasonably do it? And so if, you, if you're willing to step outside that, then you, you run a lot of risks you yep. also might benefit uh, and have some rewards. So, but that's that's got to now, be up to you individually. Uh, again, I would not would not encourage illegal activity. But I will just state that if you were to undergo some uh, illegal process, in order to, you know, give something to someone else, and later that were discovered, well, if you were the perpetrator, you're already dead. So uh, it would be it'd be rather tricky to prosecute you. So, I mean, you, you can factor that into your thinking if you like. On the other hand, I got to say, and this is, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of feedback on this book from a lot of people, including people who like are professional archivists and historians and things like that. And one of the comments I got was like, look, Joe, like I get what you're saying about the media, but think about this differently. When when you have died, your loved ones are going to care about their memories of you. They're going to care about pictures of you with them. They're going to care, care about personal stuff. They're not going to care what you spent money on while you're alive and, and, and can they still watch that movie that you bought 10 years ago. I mean, somebody might, okay? But, but that's that might might seem like a, a big thing on your list because you've invested this money in this media for yourself. But in all probability, your family, your heirs, whatever, aren't really going to care much about that. They don't care what what the lost investment might have be what might have been because they lost you. So the the advice that I got from people was like, okay, yeah, you can mention that, but really downplay it because that is that is the least of your concern when you are thinking about how to pass on your data. It's a very fair point. That's a very fair point. Okay. Wow, there's there's I mean there's so many ways, so many things I want to ask about here. Um so let's rock let's, on. We we got time. <laughs> well let, okay so let's take that particular topic and riff on it from the other direction. Okay. I have a. I'll, I'll use myself for example. I have a lot of a lot of episodes of Mac Voices that have been recorded. Mm. Now, why anyone would want to go back and look at those, I don't know. But I'm going to assume that maybe someone, for the sake of this discussion anyway, that someone cares enough about me that they want to would want to go back and see something that you know we published a long time ago. Yeah. How do I now? Th there, there's the steps that I've taken. Um, and we can talk about some of those later. But And there are ways that they could probably access them still, like on YouTube or Vimeo or whatever. Well, no, not Vimeo, because if, if I stop paying for the Vimeo account, it goes away. YouTube, theoretically, yeah. is forever. Theoretically. Mm -hmm. How do I protect, though? Let, let's take the video app. Let's say I've published a blog. Um, yeah. And I need to keep up the hosting fees or that blog goes away. 
is uh-huh. there a way to protect ourselves there? Is Do you think that should be a concern of ours? Possibly. So I'm actually, I'm actually going to go back to the video for a second because that's, in a way, that's an easier question to answer. Did you know that you can, you, you've, you've, you've heard of the Internet Archive, right? Archive.org, where uh, you can like, oh, I went to a web page, but the link was broken because the, the company went out of business or something. But can I see what that web page looked like a year ago or five years ago? Yes. I go to archive.org and I pop in the URL and it says, well, here's what that page looked like when we crawled that at a certain point. So I use this all the time. You can donate data including video to the internet archive. And I, I have a link in my book to a story of uh, someone who had, uh, who had, who done all this writing and his instructions to his, his son or whatever were on my death. All this, all these files that I've created on, on my computer, you donate those to the internet archive. They're going to become public domain. And because they are there, they're, you know, massive backup system is going to preserve them for all eternity. Maybe not all eternity, but I would trust the Internet Archive with my video for longer than I would trust YouTube. Because YouTube is profit-driven, and if videos become unprofitable for them, at a certain point they may say, yeah, let's just delete that. Uh, there's there's really not a guarantee that those will stay alive forever, but uh, you have a much you have much better odds let's say, okay, you're going to download, you're going to have a local copy of all these videos and you leave instructions. Okay. After I'm gone, you, my digital executor, upload all this stuff to the internet archive and make sure that it's available to, uh, to the public now. So that's, that's one answer to that. You could of course also say, well, I, I want to make sure that that Joe Kissel has a copy of all the, what it's like well over a hundred. I have no idea. <laughs> like many, many, I want to make sure Joe Kissel has a, a copy of all of the uh, Mac voices that, that, that he and I did together. So somebody bundle those up and, and send them to him or something like that. So you could do that. Now in terms of, I do mention blogs too. And this is one of those things that are like, Oh, I, I don't say enough about this. I should, I should really say more. So something like a blog, you're correct that once those monthly hosting fees are no longer paid, that's just going to evaporate. So there are a few ways of handling that. One is somebody can download all of the content, whether they save it as PDFs or as local HTML files or whatever it may be. Uh, they can they can just say, okay, well here's here's a uh, a big a PDF of of all the collected blog posts of this person, and they can just make that available. Somebody else could continue to pay for the hosting, but it's hard. Oh, I mean, it's hard to keep a, a, a website of any kind alive indefinitely, because even if you're using a free service that theoretically will host it forever, sooner or later, that company could go out of business. So, and I, and there was a, there was a site that I used to rely on a lot because I've written a lot about backups. There was this site that, that uh, a private citizen, not an employee of Apple had put together about time machine, just going into 
detailed, excruciating information about every aspect of Time Machine and all these great troubleshooting tips and all this like, you know, arcane information. And I would refer to the site fairly often. Uh, then this guy died. And within a short period of time, the website just disappeared. Now, as soon as I found out that he died, I downloaded a copy of that entire website locally so that I can still get at that. Ad. Of course, it's very outdated now. This was a number of years ago. But, but that's the kind of thing that people are going to encounter. If you have a blog or a website or any kind of online presence that requires ongoing payments and you would like that information to remain available to the public afterwards, it's going to be really hard. So either you pass on the responsibility for the cost and maintenance to somebody else, which could be an option, or you just say, well, too bad. It's no longer there. I've got a local copy that I can pass on individually to other people and they can do with it what they want. You, I mean, a blog might be hard to get into the internet archive. It's possible, not as easy as some other kinds of content. But uh, uh, what I would say is at the very least, make sure that your executor has downloaded a copy of all that data so that if and when the live version online goes away, it exists locally such that someone could do something else with it. Okay. Is it fair for me to ask one very specific question since you gave a very specific example? What tool did you use to download that particular website? What is out there that, that I could point to a particular website and say, I need a copy of that, period? There are a few, and this was several years ago, so I don't remember off the top of the head, off the top of my head, which one I used, but if I had to guess, I would say it was probably DevonThink Pro because that's an app that I have open all the time. And it does have that capability of, of crawling websites and downloading local copies. So it was most likely that. Okay. That, yeah. That I, I can see somebody emailing us and saying, you know, Hey, specifically which one. So um, yeah, you can you can do a, a search in your favorite app store for something like uh, you know a, a web crawler or a I don't know what uh, web scraper. There there are different terms used for tools that uh, that grab copies of stuff off a of website. You know, it's one thing to say, well, I'm looking at a web page, and so I'm just going to save that as as the HTML source, or I'm going to save that as a PDF or whatever. That's great for one page, but if you want to follow all the links on that page and then download all the pages that those links are attached to. Um, you really need a, a web crawler of some kind. And, uh, and, it, and that, that's, that's a bit of a tricky undertaking because sometimes sites can just be gigantic. They might have thousands, hundreds of thousands of pages. I mean, like nobody in the right mind would try to crawl Apple's website and download a copy of every single page that would that's that would be madness yeah. but uh, there 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 are tools that do that Joe is back in the next edition of Mac Voices to finish up our conversation about the latest revision to his book Take Control of Your Digital Legacy and this is really, really important. I strongly encourage you to go to TakeControlBooks.com, pick up a copy of this, and follow Joe's guidance to help secure the things that are important to you 
for when you're not around. Until the next time, and as always, I'm Chuck Joyner. Thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.